Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 13. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Back up a little bit to chapter 8, and I want you to look at uh, verse uh, 7. This grieved the heart of the Lord that the people wanted a king. Uh, Look at verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, uh, Listen to the people in all that they say, for they have not rejected you, Samuel, but they have rejected me, that I should reign over them. So it grieved Samuel, and their desire for a king also grieved God. And the reason it grieved God is because Israel was supposed to be a special people in many ways. Uh, one of those ways was, was that they were to be holy and they were to be separated and uh, a separated people, a separated nation by a holy God. We call that a theocracy. They were to be ruled by God, not a monarchy, ruled by a king. Uh, like the other nations. But as time went on, uh, Israel began to look around at the world and realize that the, that the greatness of a nation, listen close, very important, to help you understand why they so desperately wanted a king. Because as they would look around at, at other nations, they realized that the greatness of a nation and the reputation of a nation in the eyes of the world was based upon the king of that nation. The king was the face of a nation. So the nations of the world looked down upon Israel. The nations of the world looked at Israel as being backward because they didn't have a face on their king. So because of social and political and uh, peer pressure, Israel wanted a king to rule over them like the other nations, and they didn't want just any king. Uh, They needed to have a king that was imposing They needed to have a king that was good-looking, a king that was charismatic, tall, dark, and handsome. So God gave them, y'all here? I'm not going to let y'all just sit there, all right? I worked hard, y'all going to work hard, all right? So God gave them who? Saul, who was everything that they were looking for on the outside, but he proved to be shallow and rootless and self-absorbed on the inside. And because Saul failed to follow the Lord and wanted to do his own thing, God said, I'm taking your kingdom away from you and I'm giving it to someone else. And this someone is going to be a man after my own heart. So we come to chapter 13. And Saul has now in chapter 13 been in ministry or office for two years. And he already starts making rookie mistakes, what I call them that will cost him his kingdom. You got a pen? I've titled this sermon, Saul's Slippery Slope. 
First Samuel chapter 13, saints, we pick up in verse 1. I'm not real sure where to stop, so we'll see. First Samuel chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. If you're looking at verse 1, say, I'm looking at it. So Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself, that's very telling, 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul and Michmash in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his own tent. And Jonathan attacked, Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Gibeah, and the Philistines heard of it. And then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard it in verse 4 and said that Saul had attacked a, Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines. Did you catch that? And that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines, underline that. And the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. And then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. Phew! And people, as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude, and they came up and they encamped in Michmash to the east of Bethaven. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves and thickets and rocks and holes and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal. And all the people followed him, trembling. And then he waited seven days, according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and a peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. And now it happened. Circle this. As soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, here comes Samuel. And Samuel went out to meet him, that he might greet him. And Saul, pardon me, went out to meet him, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said. When I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. But the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. Why? Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Then Samuel arose and he went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin and Saul numbered the people present with him about 600 men. Well, let's stop right there. Saul, let me have your attention, was approximately, get your pen so you can keep up with me. Saul is approximately 30 years old when he became king. Uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 41, write that down, look it up in your own time. It tells us 
that Saul reigned a total of 40 years. Actually, historians say that Saul reigned 42 years. I think they're adding these two years here in 13. Now, after being in office for two years, Saul chose 3,000 men. Notice the Bible tells us in verse 2 that 2,000 stayed with Saul at Michmash in the mountains, and 1,000 went with Jonathan to Gibeah in Benjamin. Remember in chapter 12, who was with me in chapter 12, like two or three weeks ago? Um, Let me see that number again. Who was with me in chapter 12? Okay, then most of you then remember in chapter 12, remember 330,000 men had come out to fight. So obviously here in chapter 13, one chapter later, Saul sent 327,000 men home and he kept 3,000 with him. Now, I'm not really sure why he would do that. It doesn't seem to make sense, and to me, that seems like a rookie mistake. Uh, He's a new king. He's never been a king before. He's setting up a new kingdom. He doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, Last time we talked about war college. Remember I told you about war college, that there is a war college? Uh, I think it's in Carlisle, Pennsylvania or something, where they teach like military commanders war strategies, and you get like a bachelor's or master's or something like that in war strategy. I never knew this until like a couple of weeks ago. So Saul had never been to war college. He didn't know what he was doing. Maybe he's thinking these guys, these couple of thousand, couple of three thousand are special forces, because actually I'll tell you something, in the original language, in the Hebrew language, it lends itself to Saul chose the pick of the litter. So he could have been thinking, I'm choosing special forces. Uh, He should have kept more of a standing army. It seems to me mistake number one. Verse three tells us, look at verse three. The Bible tells us that Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines. Now, as you go through Samuel, you'll, you'll see that Jonathan is a great military leader. In the text, Jonathan can't stand the fact that There's a Philistine garrison out front waiting and wanting to fight in the midst of God's country. So Jonathan attacks and overcomes the Philistine garrison with a thousand men. Jonathan understands that God can give victory with many or God can give victory with few. It makes no difference to God. Do you understand numbers are a factor in our world? Numbers are not a factor in God's economy. God can give, thank you, three brothers who said amen. In God's economy, numbers mean nothing. God can accomplish whatever he chooses to accomplish with one, with five stones and a slingshot, with a jawbone of a donkey. He can use a donkey. (laughs) I saw one other guy be honest and raise his hand. God can do whatever he wants in God's economy. So I think Jonathan understands that. And you'll come to love Jonathan if you don't already as we go through uh, Samuel. Uh, Look at verse 3 again. It tells us that Saul, I found this interesting, Saul blew the trumpet saying, let the Hebrews hear. Verse 3, Saul blew the trumpet but attacked the Philistines. Verse 3 also tells us that Jonathan attacked the Philistines. Do you see that? It's possible that the Philistines got word that Saul attacked them. It's possible. But actually, it was Jonathan who attacked them, 
and Saul took the credit for the victory. Now, how do I know that? Because if you look at verse 4, verse 4 tells us the people gathered to Saul at Gilgal to imply that Saul was the leader in that victory against the Philistines. I titled this sermon, Saul's Slippery Slope. And here we see another mistake by Saul, another slip downward on a slippery slope. Saul is so insecure that he allows the people to give him credit for victory. He's so insecure that he can't allow anyone to get praise or to get credit or to get admiration from people, not even his own son. So he's taking credit for the victory. Now, if you know your Bibles, you know that Saul doesn't like it when somebody else gets attention. What you talking about, Willis? Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, you can flip there if you like. David and Jonathan had a special relationship. You know that. And David and Jonathan, they loved each other. And David loved Jonathan like he loved himself. And David went on a mission to fight the Philistines, and it was a great victory. And these Pentecostal women came out with tambourines and dancing. It's in the Bible. I'm not making this up. And they came out dancing and saying, what were they saying, y'all? Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And the Bible tells us that Saul was very angry, very displeased. And Saul didn't like it when anybody got attention. So Saul's taking credit here in verse 3. And it's kind of a preview, I think, of his life. Pride. I think pride is Saul's Achilles heel. Unfortunately, it's a characteristic of Saul's life. Saul was not humble Memory verse, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to elders. Yes, all of you be submissive one to another and be clothed with humility. For God does what? Resist the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Listen, from Genesis to Revelation, the warning is echoed. God hates pride and God loves humility. Did you hear me? God hates pride. God loves humility. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19 says, There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. What? A proud look. What else? Come on, y'all. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run to evil, and someone who lies and spreads strife among the people of God. God hates that. Write this down. Proverbs 16, 18 through 19. Memory verse. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. And then it goes on to say, it would be better to be lowly and humble than to be rich and proud. Isn't that interesting? It was Ben Franklin who said it best. He said, humility is a virtue so difficult to grasp that if I should ever attain to it, I would be proud of myself. (laughs) Things that make you go, hmm, that's true. If I should ever attain to it, I would be proud of myself. Isn't it true? We live in a culture where it's cool to be prideful. That's unfortunate. 
I think the, I think the kids call it swag. It, am I right about it, y'all? It's kind of, sort of, not all the time. It depends on how y'all, see, y'all think I don't know what I'm talking about. Because I'm older, but I know what I'm talking about. Now, not all the time, but sometimes if you use the word swag, you're saying how cool somebody is. Sometimes. And sometimes, depending on the contextual use of the word, <laughs> if you use the word swag, you're using it in a different way. But, but, but more often than not, it means you're cool. You got swag, and, and that's a, you know you're cool. In our culture, we 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 love that sort of thing. God always has listen, and always will call it pride. He will not call it swag. Somebody say amen. God's not going to change his language because y'all change. I'm just trying to help you. What you learn in church tonight? Well, we talked about swag. What is swag? Don't know what swag. God always will call it pride. God hates pride. Don't get me wrong. Nothing wrong with being cool. Nothing wrong with some people who are just born cool. I got you. You're just cool. You can't help yourself. You walk by a mirror. You can't help but look at you. So y'all don't know I know this. And the reason I know this, I'm going to tell you a little secret I never told anybody before. My, my windows on my office are like mirrors. I, I can see you, but you can't see me. So I'm standing in the window like. I'm doing all kinds of stuff, and, you, and you're looking in my window going. I see you. I see you. You know, God doesn't like pride. He hates pride. Nothing wrong with being cool, but God hates pride. And I think that's a different thing. I'm joking. I think it's a different thing. And not only does God hate pride, but he opposes it. As a matter of fact, he's allergic to it. Think about that. God is allergic to sin. He's allergic to pride. God isn't against it. God hates it. He hates it. The Bible says if you're prideful, you're in for a fall. D.L. Moody said, be humble or you'll stumble. I like that. Be humble or you'll stumble. You know the scriptures. We're not, the Bible tells us we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. And one of Satan's devices, I think in his little bag of tricks, I honestly think is pride. I've seen it over and over in the ministry. Pride is the silent killer of the service of the saints. Pride. My ministry. I've seen more people fall to pride than any other thing. Am I talking about, anybody know what I'm talking about? To pride. Because you're so prideful. Because you think that you're all that. You think that if the ministry can't continue, if you're not in place. Listen, the moment you think that, danger, Will Robinson. I can honestly tell you right now, I don't, I don't think that. And if you know me well, you know I don't think that. God can use anybody. The fact that I'm standing here is proof positive that God can use anybody. 
But God can use anybody. God doesn't need me. God uses me, I'm happy about that. God chooses to use me, I'm happy about that. But does God need me? No. Does God want me? Yes. And I want him. This is good. I don't know why that's funny, but it is. It just is. But does he need me? No. God can use somebody else. And God will. And the moment I or anybody starts taking possession of the ministry and they start thinking that the ministry is about them, you are taking a step downward. That is a slippery slope. You had better check yourself. I've seen it over and over. I'm just trying to tell you what I know. That's how it happens. So somebody tells you, oh, you know, great. It happens every week. You know, somebody will say to me, great, you know, great sermon, great sermon. I, praise the Lord. That's, that's awesome. Great. I'm glad you got blessed. Awesome. Not walk away and think, well, man, I sure, yeah, I, I was wonderful. <laughs> Ooh, I was great. Ooh, man. Ooh, Ooh I could chills on my own spine. <laughs> You know, people get, you know, you know, you, you get what I'm trying to, trying to say. I'm just trying to help you. And don't, don't, don't let that happen. That's a little trick of the enemy, you know. And, and, don't, and don't have false humility either. Okay, we've seen that too, right? Have we not we've seen that too? Well, uh, oh, great job. Well, you know, praise the Lord. Well, God is good. Praise the Lord. I'm blessed coming in, blessed going out. All I do is avail myself to God, and God pours his spirit in me and uses my life, but all oh, glory to his name. It's like, whoa, woo, that was a lot. That's false humility. How about this? Praise the Lord. Glad you got blessed. Have a nice day. That's awesome. Great, God spoke to you. Awesome. If God doesn't speak to you, I could talk for three hours. If God doesn't speak to you, you haven't heard anything. My prayer is that God would speak to you. I don't even know why I'm talking about this. not even in my notes. If God doesn't speak to you, then you haven't heard anything. That's why the servant of God has got to pray after you've done your best, commit the rest. After you've studied and prepared and prayed and all these things, put all this before the Lord and ask God to anoint it so that when it reaches the ears of the hearer that the seeds is sown and the Holy Spirit. Am I right about somebody? Clap your hands and say amen. That the seed is sown and the Holy Spirit waters it and brings forth fruit. All of that is God. It has nothing to do with you. You're just a mouthpiece, period. Point blank, period. You're just a mouthpiece. And if God doesn't really speak, that's why I always say just one word from God is enough. Because just that one word can change your life. Just that one word can change everything. You've got to depend on God. And don't allow pride to get in the way of, of, of what God is doing. You know, the story is told of these two ducks and a frog that lived in a pond. 
<laughs> a great segue, huh? And, uh, and, and a drought came into the area, and so the frog be- became panicked and said to the ducks, hey, this pond is drying up. Can you just fly us out of here? You guys can fly out of here, but me, I'm stuck. I'll die. So here's a plan. Why don't you guys, the ducks, get a stick and suspend it between your bills, and with my mouth, I'll grab onto the stick, and we'll all fly out of here to the next lake where we can get more water. Well, the duck said, okay, sounds good. So they found a stick, they placed it in their bills, and the frog grabbed on with his mouth at the middle of the stick. And the two ducks began to fly off, and the frog hung on. And as they began to fly on their journey, this farmer, who was familiar with the ducks and the frogs, he goes, clever, clever, wow, that's ingenious. Who thought of that clever idea? And the frog opens his mouth and said, I did. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at one 800 293 0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the media library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.